We're going to be in James chapter 1 this morning, and so I invite you to uh, take out a Bible, and we have some Bibles to hand out if you uh, would like one. Um, we're going to be on page 837 if you're using the Bridge Bible, James chapter 1. So if you'd like a Bible, just slip up your hand. We'll be glad to bring one down to you. Our ushers have them in their hands right now. So just slip up your hand. We got need some down here in the front. Very good. Make sure you grab a Bible. James chapter 1, page 837, if you're using the Bridge Bible. In February 2007, Guatemala City experienced a very unusual phenomena. A city street collapsed, creating a monster sinkhole 330 feet deep. About a dozen homes slipped into that sinkhole and three people died. The cause is believed to be related to an abundance of rainfall and um, a sewer that uh, was leaking that they knew about. And uh, the odor of the sinkhole was sickening. Three years later, May 2010, after Tropical Storm Agatha had run its course, Guatemala City had a second sinkhole, 200 feet deep, less than three miles away, and um, it sank entire utility poles carrying electricity along with a three-story factory building. Sinkholes can occur underground when uh, rocks are dissolved by water such as salt, gypsum, and limestone, when they're inundated with water, they can dissolve the rock, creating um, a big chasm that eventually, if nothing supporting it, will just cave in. Sinkholes provide an excellent parable for our spiritual lives. Uh, if we don't develop our inner spiritual lives, if we don't build our lives on a solid foundation, if we don't spend time growing in God's word and growing in prayer, if we don't deal with past hurts, secret addictions, character issues, we're setting ourselves up for a collapse. The surface of our lives may look good on the outside. Uh, they may look stable and secure. But in reality, there's a very fragile base. The storms of life can suddenly expose our hidden vulnerabilities, potentially developing a huge spiritual sinkhole. In James chapter 1, James instructs us to engage the trials of life as opportunities to grow spiritually, to uh, allow them to develop spiritual muscle. We talked about this last week, to enable us to develop endurance. Today, as we continue our study in radical living, James instructs us about temptation. Uh, so uh, take your outlines and your programs. I uh, encourage you to follow along. We're going to be uh, page 837, James chapter 1, verse 13. The first thing is we must understand that temptation to sin does not come from God. Now, that may seem obvious to some of you. 
it's not necessarily obvious to everyone. If it already seems obvious to you that temptation doesn't come from God, then this is going to be a very important thing for you to pass on to other people in discipling them. Um, God cannot be tempted by evil in verse 13. When tempted, James writes, no one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil. Now, James is talking about this in the context of facing trials, in the, in the context of difficulties. When hard times come, when the trials of life, the storms of life come, no one should say, God is tempting me. No one should say, God is setting me up for failure. And this is why it's so important that you and I know God's word and to know uh, who God is and what he is like and what scripture says. Because people get confused really easy when they have nothing to fall back on, on who God really is and how he's revealed himself. Uh, James clearly uh, tells us that God cannot be tempted by evil and he cannot be tempted to do evil things. First Peter uh, chapter one, verse 15 uh, reminds us about who God is. And this is what Peter writes to us. He says, but just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. God is holy. This is who God is. This is what God is like. Can God tempt you to sin? No, God is holy. He's totally set apart from sin. In fact, he's set apart to righteousness. God is holy. Now, that may make us uncomfortable that he's holy. And we, we may uh, be uncomfortable with the imp implications that he wants us to be holy. But I want you to know that, that God is holy is a very good thing. It is an excellent thing. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, the Apostle John writes, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. To say that God is light is another way to talk about his holiness. He's full of spiritual light. He's full of truth. And there is no darkness in him. There is no evil, no evil intent. There is no cover up here. Uh, God is who he says he is. Uh, if you're going to know God and trust God, you've got to know who he is. Back to James. James is not, says that God does not tempt anyone, verse 13. God does not tempt anyone. Um, it's just not in his nature. Let's go on to uh, point B. God does not tempt anyone. It's not in his nature. It doesn't fit with his character. Now, why is this a big deal that James is pointing this out, that God doesn't tempt anyone? Because... Sometimes people have the habit of blaming others for their choices. Sometimes we blame other people for the decisions that we've made. Sometimes people blame God for the predicament they're in that include the choices they have made. Um, sometimes we blame God for this. God, why did you make me this way? God, why did you make me with such a strong sexual desire? It's God's fault. And I can't control it. God, uh, 
Why did you uh, make me to have such a compulsion for food and I can't control it? Or God, why did you uh, make me to be such an angry person? Because I can't control it. Or why am I so susceptible to alcohol abuse? It's not my fault. It's my family's fault. And sometimes we have a tendency to blame other people. Sometimes we blame God. Secondly, uh, on your outline, understand the anatomy of sin. Understand the anatomy of sin. Now, this is important because sin confuses people. Now, let's walk through this. Uh, first, temptation starts with our own desires, and James reports this in verse 14. He says, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. James says it starts with his own evil desires. You know what? Desire in and of itself is not evil. It becomes evil when we choose to do something that dishonors God. When we want to do something that dishonor God, dishonors God, then it becomes evil. For example, did you know that God created me with a sexual desire? You probably guessed that. It's sexual desire is a good thing. It is a good thing created by God, designed by God. Where does it take me? It's my choice. It's my choice. God created me a desire for food. Does that mean I should be a glutton? God created me to have anger. He has anger. Am I responsible for what I do with my anger? Yes, I am. So having the desire in and of itself is not wrong, but temptation starts from within me. It's not out there. It starts here. It's my choice to engage, okay? Next, desire uh, is moved along by our emotional engagement. Verse 14, uh, he is dragged away and enticed by his own evil desire. Desire can be so powerful. And it gets more complicated if you choose to feed that desire. Desire affects the way you feel. Emotions can go crazy when it comes to making decisions. If we live on our feelings, it can be easy to fall into sin. Desire, uh, James says, is dragged away and enticed like an animal to a trap or a fish to a net or following a lure. All of a sudden, no thought is involved. It's just, I'm going to go for this. So desire is moved along by our emotional engagement. And then verse 15, desire conceives in the mind and gives birth to sin. This is the anatomy of sin. There is a very clear path to sin. Starts here. We dabble with it. We engage with it. And if it comes to fruit or gives birth, it gives birth to sin. A disconnect uh, with God. Desire conceives in the mind and gives birth to sin. Uh, notice the process, James chapter 1, verse 15. Then after desire is conceived, it's like a birth process. There is a conception with this desire. My desire in itself, 
wasn't evil. It can become evil when I choose to dishonor God. And then it gives birth to sin, which separates me from God. And when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. We can just go back to Adam and Eve in the garden. And nothing wrong with food. Nothing wrong with having a desire to eat. But God placed a limitation, only one in the entire garden. He says, don't go there. And, of course, um, Eve goes right for it. She gets enticed. She makes a choice. And then, uh, what, what, by the way, what happens after that? Well, Adam blames the ser- uh, Eve blames the serpent. And uh, Adam blames the woman or blames God who gave me this woman. And there is this sort of blame game that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. After desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, this process. And when it's full grown, when it's complete, it uh, gives birth to death. Now, this is the principle of death. So, Adam and Eve sinned, and they brought death into the universe. The death principle. Death is about separation from God. Now, sin, if uh, left, if, if uh, my sin is just left to, to itself, then it leads to a separation from God for eternity. But because of Jesus Christ and because he died on the cross and he paid the penalty of my sins and because God offered me salvation from the penalty of my sin, from the penalty of death, because uh, he offered the gospel, the good news, I place my faith in Jesus Christ and I experience forgiveness and a new life and I don't have to pay that penalty and I don't have to experience eternal death. Okay? However... As a follower of Christ, if I sin, what happens? I experience separation from God in my relationship. The barrier goes up. I shut off communication with God. I'm disconnected in my relationship, not for an eternity, but for now until I do something about it. That's why Scripture says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will purify us from all unrighteousness. God has made the provision for my sin as a follower of Christ, for me to clean up my act and and to be cleansed when I fail. But sin separates me from God, separates people for an eternity without Christ, and with Christ it can separate our relationship, and we need to be restored when we confess our sin. So sin gives birth to death. So what is James teaching? He's teaching that sin starts with temptation from my desire here, within. And uh, it starts in my mind. It conceives in my mind. And before I take action, I, I can sin right here. Before I actually do something, I can sin right here. It, it's conceived Right here in my mind. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. This is what Jesus taught. He said, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. One of the Ten Commandments. Jewish people knew this one really well. Hey, I didn't murder anybody. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Well, that's true. 
Verse 22, but I tell you, Jesus said, that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Jesus raised the bar because murder starts up here in the mind. Starts with hate. Starts with anger. Now, anger is an emotion. Just because I get angry doesn't mean I've sinned. I certainly can. It can lead to sin right away in my mind. When I hate somebody, when I, when I have angry thoughts, when I want to hurt somebody, before I even act out, and certainly acting out is wrongful. Another example is Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. Jesus said, you've heard it said that it, do not commit adultery. Well, that's one of the Ten Commandments. Don't have sex if you're married and it's not your wife. That's kind of an application of it. Don't commit adultery. They understood that. Jesus raised the bar. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus said it's possible to commit adultery before you get to the bedroom. Right here in your mind. He called it lust. So you can sin before you take action. Understand the anatomy of sin. It starts with me. I can dabble with it. I choose what I'm going to do with it. It can conceive and give birth to sin. So here's what I want you. Here's another thing I want you to say. I'm being clear about this. Being tempted is not sin. Do you get that? A temptation itself is not sin. This is why sin, people get so confused about sin. If you are tempted, it's probably because you are a red-blooded human being. Okay? That you have temptations is not evil. It's not wrong. That you have temptations. It's what you do with them that makes all the difference. Galatians chapter, oh, let me just say this. Everyone is tempted. Jesus Christ was tempted. There's nothing evil in him. Just because he faced temptation didn't make him a sinner. All right. Nor does it make you a sinner just because you face temptation. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul writes, so I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So the best thing you can do is live by the spirit. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit day by day. No, you're never going to be perfect. But you can walk with God. Verse 17, for the sinful desire, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Here's what I want to say. Okay. Most of you know my story. I came to faith when I was 25. I had a Pretty big experience with sin before I ever got to this point at the age of 25, okay? I placed my faith in Christ. My sins were forgiven. I was born again. I was given a new nature. I was a new person. However, guess what? Jerry Kellen was still there. And there was still me, the flesh. And there was a new part of me and there was an old part of me. And if you're a follower of Christ, you have a new nature and you have an old nature. You have a capacity to please God and you have a capacity to please self and be very selfish. Okay, here's what Paul writes. He says there is a conflict going on in you. 
What I want you to know is that the conflict is normal. Just because you have conflict doesn't make you a bad person. It's what you do with temptation that brings failure. It's so easy to get confused about this subject, okay? Temptation starts in here. I let it go. I can make some choices up here. That can lead to sin. But just because I have the struggle doesn't make me a bad person. Don't think you're supposed to get this to the spiritual point where you don't face temptation. If you do, you're probably dead, okay? Here we go. Um, Galatians 5.25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so I love this passage just because it has this picture of taking steps with the Spirit. You know, the Christian life is described as a walk. That's the words that Peter or Paul uses here. Live by the Spirit. He's saying literally the word is to walk by the Spirit. I like that because it's just it's one day at a time, one step at a time. I'm not a super, you know, I'm not a giant Christian spiritually. I'm just an ordinary person. I just I'm going to take steps, short steps, baby steps. Now, what do I do when I fall down? Because sometimes I fall down. You know, sometimes I sin, I mess up, and I fall. What do I do? Get back up. Get back up. And it's as simple as if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. So I admit it to God if I have to admit it to other people, if I've sinned against other people, and then I just I get back right up and walk. I ask God for help, and I walk in the power of the Spirit. One more passage, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Paul writes, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Whatever temptations you are facing, other people have faced, and it's kind of normal part of life. And God is faithful. You can count on God. This is another thing you need to know about God. He is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That's who God is, and that's what he promises to you. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. You can count on God to provide a way out. I don't think a lot of people believe that. Um, let me just read one other passage that uh, we didn't get on the PowerPoint that the Apostle Paul tells Timothy. He says, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Flee the evil desires of youth. Now, I, I want to say the obvious here is sometimes we feel temptation. What do you do with it? Are you going to move toward it? I wonder how far I can stay in this temptation and experience this temptation without falling off the cliff. And Paul says, hey, when you see that coming, when you know you're in it, leave it. Walk away from it. Don't, don't dabble. Don't see how long you can last. He's saying, exit, flee. Okay, thirdly, this is the last part of our passage, verses 16 through 18. Understand the deception of sin. Understand the deception of sin. Verse 16, uh, it is possible to be deceived. We smart Christians are smart sinners. Sometimes we Christians just get smarter at what we do. 
And the goal is not to be a smart sinner. Okay? The goal is to follow Christ. James says, verse 16, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. It is possible to be deceived. It's possible to blame God, just like Adam and Eve. Um, you know, people find it, it's so easy for people to choose other people or their circumstances to blame for the choices they've made without owning up to their own choices. Yes, I did this. Yes, it was hard. Yes, I felt weak, but I did this and I'm responsible. Uh, it's possible to be deceived. It's possible to blame others. It's possible to blame God. Verse 17, God gives God's gifts are good and not evil. James writes, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. God gives good gifts. You can expect that from God. It's his nature. He is the father of heavenly lights, meaning he is the creator God. He's the one who created the universe. He's the one who created the stars and the moon and the sun and all that there is. And then it says, uh, who does not change, God does not change like shifting shadows. The sun is a created thing, and the sun moves and creates in its movement shadows that shift and change. In God, there is no shifting shadows. God does not change. There's no darkness. There's no cover-up. There's no thing here that he's going to, all of a sudden you're going to find out behind the curtain, he is evil. It's not true. God's gifts are good and not evil. An example of God's gift is your salvation. Verse 18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits of all he created. He chose to give us birth. You see, there's a kind of an, um, a comparison here with the anatomy of sin that starts with desire and gives birth to sin and gives birth to death. And God chose us to give us birth through the word of truth. The word of truth is the gospel that Christ died for our sins. It is the power of God through the word of God that we are changed, that we are given new life, that we are born again spiritually. Um, if you study the entire Bible, it's amazing how many things come from God's word. God speaks in Genesis chapter 1. And it is so. He speaks creation into existence. The prophets proclaim the word of God. Jesus is described as the word of God, a revelation of God. When Jesus comes in Revelation 19, when he brings judgment, all he has to do is speak the word of God and it will happen. An example of God's gifts is our salvation. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, Paul describes it this way. He says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. It's just another way to describe it like James. Having believed, that's how you come to faith. That's how you 
experience salvation is believing you are marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is in you, if you are a follower of Christ, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the day of redemption to those who are God's possession to the praises of his glory. I love verse 14. The Holy Spirit in your life is a deposit guaranteeing your salvation. You you don't earn it. You don't deserve it today. You won't deserve it next week. If you become a better person, you won't deserve it. You'll never deserve it. But God has given you the Holy Spirit guaranteeing your salvation. And lastly, uh, Ephesians chapter 5. So we don't leave on such a downer. Paul says, be imitators of God, therefore, as a dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Verse three. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So sin is a choice. It starts uh, within us. Our desire can be ignited. Sin, uh, this whole temptation thing it, uh, is ignited by desire. It's moved along to action in the mind. Sin is conceived in the mind. It's uh, your choice, what you do with it. Don't blame God and don't blame other people for your choices. Um, In his book, Steve Farrar, the book is entitled Finishing Strong, writes these words. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Keep you longer than you want to stay. And cost you more than you're willing to pay. I just want us to see and be clear about sin, that where where it comes from, how we get there, and what we do about it. 